and people ask me, you know, but you're not you're not a journalist at the White House. And I said, well, I'm a documentary photographer. You know, I, I'm there to document what's happening. And, you know, I never asked the president to, you know, uh, look in the camera this way or stop right there, sir. I've got the great picture. Don't move. Never, ever happened. It's always, you know, whatever happens, you know, that's what we're there to document. What's going on, y'all? You have just tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. On this show, I invite black photographers, filmmakers, editors, and creative business folks to discuss their experiences and share their wisdom. You will hear about their work, their challenges, and their inspirations. My name is Idris Talib Solomon, a creative director, photographer, and filmmaker based in Brooklyn, New York. So if you dig photography and you love the culture, keep your mind open and your headphones locked. This is the Black Shutter Podcast. This is episode nine of the Black Shutter Podcast. Our guest today is a former official White House photographer for the Obama administration. He has over 20 years of photojournalism experience shooting for the Associated Press and a Virginia pilot. He discusses a typical day photographing the Obamas and the importance of being the only black photographer on the White House staff. In 2019, he published a book entitled, Yes, We Did, Photos and behind-the-scenes stories celebrating our first African-American president. Lawrence Jackson, what's going on, brother? How you feeling? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Welcome to the Black Shutter Podcast. So um, tell us where you're calling in from. Arlington, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. Out of D.C. You're like the... I've had a few photographers from the DMV on the show already. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It's a, I think uh, with the amount of politics that have to be covered in, in, in D.C., I, I feel like I'm going to get a lot of photographers from that region. Are you from the D, DMV area, or where are you, where are you normally based, or originally uh, based? Well, I, originally we're from uh, Richmond, Virginia. So okay. I, uh, bo- yeah, born and raised, you know, it's an hour and a half down uh, 95, and I stayed there until I went off to college, which is James Madison University, and uh, after college, I did a couple of internships at different newspapers. My my last one was at the Virginia Pilot in uh, Norfolk, mm-hmm. and uh, and I spent ten years there. With you know, really the best ten years of my life as a photojournalist, kind of growing and learning with uh, just the great people. And uh, then I went up to Boston to work for the AP for a couple of years, and then I transferred to DC with the AP. And um, about seven years there. And then in 2009, I went to work for the White House. Oh, nice. So just hearing you say it, it sounds like it's a pretty like straightforward path. But Oh, yeah. Just a straightforward path. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. And then I became White House photographer. It's like, well, right. wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a lot of, there's a lot of steps in between that I'm sure yeah. a lot of people want to hear about. Um, what did you study at James Madison? So when I originally went to college, I was going to be a newscaster, or sportscaster for you know television. Okay. Uh, but I quickly realized that being in front of the camera was not my forte. <clears throat> uh, I just didn't like it. I felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And when I was in high school, uh, I worked for the college for the high school yearbook. So I took I taken some pictures, and you know I took pictures of girl modeling shoots, you know, in high school. Um, but then in college, you know, the college newspaper, The Breeze, they had, you know, 
an opening for photographers and I, you know, gave my work. And honestly, you know, they would have taken anybody, but uh, <laughs> they, they, they took me. And, you know, it really was, it was that exposure, especially the photojournalism class that they taught at JMU. There's only one class. Mm-hmm. And it was taught by a guy named Tommy Thompson. And he, he opened up the doors to me, you know, both literally and uh, metaphorically, just the exposure of what photojournalists do, the things they create, the things they, you know, document. And I was it. You know, I was hooked. So I majored in, in communications and I minored in art photography. Oh, nice. So when you got when you got to college, you you had an idea, a general idea of where you wanted to go professionally. It sounded like you wanted to be in communications and the arts in some form. Did you know that you would get into photojournalism? Yeah. So when I say communications, I meant to say that the, the uh, specific was journalism. So yeah, I knew I wanted to to be a photojournalist, but they didn't have that degree at James Madison. Mm-hmm. And after my freshman year, I was very close to leaving JNU to go to a school, a photo J school or a photography school. But my friends and my family talked me out of it and say, just, you know, stay where you are and just, you know, get your degree. And afterwards, you know, you can get something else. Um, so it was the best thing I could do at JNU was to get the journalism and art photography degree. But I knew leaving college, you know, I wanted to be a photojournalist. And luckily, you know, at that time, this is where, you know, a lot of newspapers were, you know, they were giving out internships and, you know, trying to get young photographers, especially photographers of color, to get uh, the experience. And, you know, the thing about internships is that it's a great way to get, you know, someone in for a cheap price or a low wage. Mm-hmm. Or free. and, and uh, Or for free, yeah. And... Uh, you put them on staff and you have them work and you work their tail off and, and if they're any good, you know, then there's an opening, then they put you on staff. If not, then, you know, you've got a great uh, resume you've got great connections and you can move on and do other things. It, it took me years to understand the concept of internship and mm-hmm. because I've had internships in the past and I think what I, what I didn't understand at a young age was, if you can be excited and humble enough to get coffee and make that the best coffee that you ever picked up mm-hmm. and delivered to somebody, mm-hmm. right? Then that's sort of mm-hmm. like paying your dues, you know? That's and, right. And until you're able to step up to do more and bigger and more important assignments and tasks, you have to start with, yep. you have to start with where you're at and do that as energetically as possible. And then you'll get noticed and then you'll you know, work your way up. I was, I was literally given pet of the week uh, when I was an intern. What uh, was that called? Pet of the week. You go out to the uh, SPCA and you take a picture of the, uh, you do a portrait of a dog or a cat or whatever <laughs> that, 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 that they're trying to uh, get someone to adopt. Wow. And you know, all the, all the other photographers hated doing it, but I love animals. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd be happy to do it. Yeah, and then they say, "Oh, Lawrence, he'll, if he he was excited to go do the pet of the week, what we'll set him to go do this, right?" That's right. Exactly. That's right. It's all about your attitude. Absolutely, and it's it's one of those things that, like I said, I don't, I didn't really understand until I'm like a, a an adult, and I look back at opportunities that I've had in the past, and I'm like, I wonder why that didn't work out, and I think about my attitude at the moment, at that time, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, that's exactly why. Yeah. Yeah. 
How many internships did you do? I've never done any photography internships. Um, I've done internships in design. My first uh, career path is as a designer. So um, I've always oh. been into the visual arts. But um, yeah. I started out as a graphic designer, then a motion motion graphics animator, and then an art director in cool. advertising. And photography was always just on the outskirts. You know, it was on the periphery of my interests. And I just kept getting better at it and sharing more and more work. And then that work started to get recognized and now here as a professional. So it's, uh, it's like your story. It's a straight arrow. It's a straight show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to let that slide. <laughs> you know, you worked for eight years as a official White House photographer. Yes, sir. Wow. So that is one of those jobs that is like, a, you know, it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you end up, you know, with that job? Um, so since I was already in Washington, you know, I, the, the story that I tell when I give talks is on election night, November 4th, 2008, I was working for the AP covering the White House. And, you know, the, the results came in and Senator Barack Obama was, was elected. And I, you know, I went crazy. I was just so excited. I called my wife, I called my brother, I called my mom. And it just, just, there was this emotion that, that came over me because we had just elected our first African-American president. Mm -hmm. And about that time, there was a commotion going outside, outside the White House in Lafayette Park. And slowly but surely, you know, people started gathering there, just kind of celebrating um, what had just happened. So I grab my camera gear and I go out into the park and I take pictures and, and the energy is just absolutely infectious. You know, people are screaming and uh, crying and, and I, you know, I do my job, I take my pictures and I, I go back to the White House and I follow my, my images to the, to the office and I pack up my gear and then I leave and I walk back to the park and it's around 1 a.m. at this point and people are still out there celebrating. And as I'm walking to my garage, when I, I park my car, uh, there's another man. He's about 20 feet to my left. And we're walking in the same direction. And uh, we're getting closer and closer to each other as we walk. And it's a black man. Mm -hmm. and, and, and as soon as we, you know, we're within, uh, uh, not shouting distance, but, you know, speaking distance, he looks at me and says, can you believe it? And he didn't say anything else. Because he, he knew what I he knew what, mm -hmm. I knew what he was talking about, yep. and I said to him, I, I said, I know, right? And that connection with that complete stranger, and I just said to myself, you know, if I can work, if I can be the photographer for this president, mm. I'm going to take that that chance. So I applied. I uh, got my portfolio together, and you know, my did a cover letter and all that stuff, and I gave it to you know someone on the uh, Obama campaign because mm -hmm. Washington's a small town. Yep. And, you know, you really do, uh, you meet, you meet people and you just, uh, you have to make those connections and you have to keep them. And I didn't hear anything, you know, this is probably late November, early December, I submitted my application and I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear anything. And then in January, early January, it was announced that Pete Souza was going to be the chief photographer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, no problem. You know, Pete probably has been, I know Pete from DC because he he was he had been working as a photographer for the Chicago newspaper, 
uh, but he had just recently retired. Mm-hmm. So I was like, no problem. I'm just going to uh, cover you know, the first African-American president from the vantage point of the Associated Press. Yep. Still exciting, still historic and everything. And then uh, two weeks or so into January, Pete calls me out or sends me an email and says, hey, I have your, your portfolio here. Uh, are you still interested in working for the White House? I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's talk. Wow. Uh, so we had we had two coffees, and uh, he told me what he was looking for, and I told him what I was looking for, and, and then he told me the job pays, you know, this much. And when I say this much, I mean not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, government, you know, public service, you know, it's not you're not doing it for the money. And you know, so he offers me the job. He tells me the job pays this much, and I say, well, I'm gonna have to talk to my wife uh, about this because at the time she was a stay-at-home mom. And she didn't, uh, we had two kids under the age of four. So we were, you know, it was been a huge sacrifice for me to take that job and for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went home that night and I told her, I said, look, I've been offered the job, but I don't think I'm going to take it because it doesn't pay enough. Mm-hmm. And she, she looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> I mean, literally like I was crazy. She's like, you are taking this job. Wow. I will get a job. I'll, we will make it work, but you were taking this job. Wow. And, and I always tell this story, um, you know, the moral of this story is to marry up because if you don't have a good partner in life, uh, it just makes life that much harder. Yeah, you need you need that support. You know, we can't do it by ourselves. So that's, that's a long story for probably a very short answer, but, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's how we got the job because, you know, I get that I get asked that question. I used to get asked that question all the time, mm-hmm. and it's not like you can just apply for the job. I mean, they choose, and I say they, whoever the communications person is for the White House or for the Income Administration, they choose the photographer, the chief photographer, and then he or she builds their staff mm-hmm. from there. Yeah, and it, and it's it's usually a staff of about uh, eleven or twelve people. Five photographers, one assigned to the VP, and the other four, or one assigned to the first lady mostly, and the other three, uh, you know, one assigned to the as a chief photographer to the president, and then the other two kind of rotate, uh, kind of around. And that's that's the way it was for us. I'm sure it might be different for uh, the current administration. So you were one of the three that would rotate around President Obama. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And the first lady. And the first lady. Okay. Uh, who did you cover more? Uh, I covered him more. Okay. We had a, a little bit of a system where every third week you'd be the person who'd work nights, weekend, and travel. Okay. And then, like every other, every fourth week, you you cover the first lady that week. All right. So the, yeah. So there was a system. There was a system in place. So it really helped. You know, for me, I would hate to do nothing but one thing all the time so mm-hmm. with this it, it at least changed things up a little bit that's cool and it gives everybody an opportunity to you know switch their lens up for lack of a better term yeah so that's that's interesting because you said you applied and i'm sitting here thinking like did an ad go out in like linkedin or yeah. something and and you know i can imagine nope. the amount of people that will be applying to a job like that so you definitely have to know the right person and did you how was it made aware to you that this job was available? Well, I mean, you don't you don't know for sure. Uh, so when 
Senator Obama had his campaign running, he never had a full-time photographer on staff. So that tells you one thing, that, hey, they don't have a full-time photographer, and now they're about to enter the White House, so there has to be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I get it, I get it. See? Mm-hmm. Now, um, let's just say for the Biden campaign, another guy who's his photographer, and if Biden goes all the way to the presidency, nine times out of 10, this guy will be mm-hmm. his chief photographer. And then he will build his staff from, you know, from, from scratch. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Were you naturally interested in politics? You know, uh, when I moved to Washington, I was really intrigued by a variety of things. You know, politics, you know, there's a saying that everything comes through Washington. And what that means is, you know, you take any issue around the world or anything across the country, uh, it usually comes through Washington in the form of legislation or some association or uh, embassy or you, know, you name it. There's some aspect of that story or that issue coming through Washington. So in in that regard, it was, you know, coming, moving from Boston to here was, it was a good move because you're constantly doing things and and doing different things. But uh, beyond the politics of Washington, you know, you have three major sports, four, five major sports teams, if you, you know, count the women's soccer and uh, men's professional soccer teams. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, you've just got teachers, you know, you've got, D.C. politics, you got Virginia politics, you got Maryland politics. So I was, I've always been drawn to stories, and I think people who, who have stories to tell could be in politics or an issue or whatever. You know, it's it's a good way to you know put a face uh, to some of those stories. So yeah, I've always been drawn to politics, but it's more than just politics. It's about people and and the, the policy that affects people's lives. Now, when you look at the photographic landscape in D.C., and you look at the amount of events that happen in politics, there's not a lot of black photographers covering politics. No, no. You, um, I think one of your questions in the, in the, in the uh, your questionnaires, uh, you alluded to, you know, what the diversity is of photographers. Yes. What, what my experience of diversity of photographers. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I said that I can count on one hand the number of full-time shooters in D.C. or people of color or African Americans, and then I had to think: okay, you've got Jahi and Marvin at the Post, Washington Post, mm-hmm. and that's that's it. I mean, and the fact that you're drawing a blank, right? Even if the yeah. even if there are more. Right, I'm sure that there may be yeah. one or two I mean, more. There are a couple, yeah, there are one or two more. Maybe at the Baltimore uh, Sun, but in D.C. in the D.C. area, no, that's you know, and that's it. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I I've worked with all these guys, and these are they're great guys. I mean, all photographers in D.C. are, are just generally good people. But in terms of like full time staffers, of people of color, it's it's not representative of demographics. So, you know, I'm not taking a stand or a position. I'm just telling you that, you know, if you've got 
12, 15% African-American, then your staff should be at least, you know, 12, 15%, if not more, mm-hmm. uh, in certain situations. The fact of the matter is there are a lot more black photographers, photographers of color, very talented across mm-hmm. the board. And mm-hmm. technology, internet has made access to this talent pool even more reachable. So there's no more mm-hmm. excuse that we can't find anybody. You know, we can't find somebody oh, yeah. in that demographic. We're out there, you know? So it's a matter oh, yeah. of who's making the decisions from the top down. And if you really yeah. want diversity, if you really want to change, you know, the perspective and and have like a, a wider range of photographers in your pool, you can do it. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of how much you're willing to do it. Right. Yeah. No, it's about, you know, you have to have your priorities. The, the industry itself has contracted so much that it makes it harder. I mean, if I was young coming up uh, today, I don't know how hard it would be. I mean, I know it would be very hard, but I'm not sure if I'd get the same breaks and chances uh, that I got 20 years ago. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, I have, I have a, a different job outside of photography and I'm able to still work as a photographer, but not mm-hmm. relying on that as like my sole bread and butter. And yeah. it's because it sort of happened, not by accident, because I actually pursued it, but it didn't happen where it was like, this is, this is the lane that I'm going for. I'm going down this photography lane and I'm going to make it happen. It sort of happened after everything else was developed, you know? So, yeah. And, and I know that it is a challenging field to be in, you know, I, yeah. I see it. I like, uh, your, your website. I've, I've listened to a couple of podcasts. Um, I think you've got a real niche going for it. And, um, and I don't know why you're talking to me, but I know it's going to be, it's going to be good. And I know you're going to, um, you're going to grow this thing. And if I can help you in any way, uh, I will. I mean, just, just sharing your story is more than enough. And the reason why I'm talking to you is because, dude, you, you covered Obama. You know, <laughs> you spent time with the Obamas over the course of eight years, yes. man, as a photographer. Yes. That is commendable. Yes. And there's, I'm sure yes. there's a lot of stories that you, you have that you could share. Yeah. So uh, can you describe what a typical day was photographing in the White House? Uh, a typical day. Well, first of all, the president's schedule, the president and first lady, and even the vice president's schedule is laid out. I mean, literally from the minute they walk into the office till uh, uh, they go home at night and, and they get the, uh, the, the briefing books. So, um, so with every minute mapped out for their schedule, uh, we as in the photo office in the communications department uh, look at a schedule and see what, what the communications office wants to cover and what doc- wants to document. So Pete's one rule uh, for the office was, you know, we cover the top of every meeting that the president has, uh, the top of every world leader phone call that the president has, and we try to get him, if he shakes someone's hand, we try and get a picture of it, mm-hmm. okay? And then uh, when he does the public events, and the public events or anything where the press are there to cover it, we have photographers uh, covering that as well. 
So we try to cover uh, the president's uh, every move, but you know, pretty close uh, throughout the day because you never know what's going to be important, what's mm-hmm. going to be a factor in the the history of, of that administration. Yes. So with with that uh, kind of edict, you know, the president's schedule is laid out. Uh, Pete would he would cover the president 90, 95 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, he was a he was a machine. Um, but whenever he did a public event, there would always be two photographers, and we call them the secondary shooter. Mm-hmm. And so if he did something in the East Room, there'd be at least two photographers in the East Room. Uh, if he did something off campus, there'd be at least two photographers. You know, Pete would be with him, uh, always within, say, 10, 15, 20 feet of him. And then the second photographer would be uh, kind of attached to the press uh, press pool and cover that angle of things. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So um, a typical day is, you know, I would, or any one of my coworkers, we would, you know, be the second shooter for events in the East Room or in the State Dining Room or on the South Lawn, or, you know, we do a trip, a day trip to to Miami where he'd give remarks at a policeman's convention or something. And we get back on Air Force One and fly back to D.C. And, you know, I mean, literally, we fly down to Miami or wherever for an hour, an hour and a half events. And then we fly back to, to Washington. And, you know, it was exciting, you know, to, to travel like that. And people ask me what I miss the most. And I tell them <laughs> Air Force One. And and why I'm is not that? kidding. Why it's, is that? Because it was, it's this beautiful plane that uh, you get these big, big comfy seats and business class type seating. Mm-hmm. You know, you get on board and the flight attendants, they know your name. They know what type of soft drink you like or what type of you know coffee you like. They know, I mean, it's the only way to fly. And wow. You're never late. You're always on time. So yeah, it's, it's one of the things I missed the most. But anyway, back to your, your question about a typical day. So we would, you know, at the beginning of the day, the photo editors and um, staffers, we would break down who's covering what. You get your assignments. You cover your events. And like I said, if you cover something on the White House grounds, you'd walk back to the office. you ingest your images into the system. you get caption information from the archivist. you make your selects, what you thought would be nice or what was, what was nice from that shoot. And then the uh, White House photo editor, would come around, come after you and look at what your take was and look at what your selects were. And then he or she would uh, narrow that down to a, a tighter number. And then that would move on to uh, Pete uh, Souza to see what he wanted, uh, see what he liked. And then at the end of the day, there'd be a, a curation of the day's images. And one of those images would be on the website uh, that night called the photo of the day. Mm. And then, and then other images would be used for other topics on uh, the WhiteHouse.gov website or any type of uh, literature or uh, promotion uh, trying to get out the uh, White House agenda. That makes sense. Boring, but yeah. How would you compare that type of experience to working for the papers? My approach to photography has, has always been the same. Um, I look for, you know, three things essentially when I take pictures and I, I, and this is in at the white house or at uh, newspapers. And one is, you know, I always try and find the emotion of, of the story. What are you trying to connect to people? And if it's, 
if there's an emotion behind it, then, you know, it's much easier to, to reach somebody. You know, it could be, you know, someone's crying in the, the arms of the president because of, you know, they're a fallen, they're the mother of a fallen soldier, or it's, you know, there could be kids who, uh, who made the first lady cry because she was, you know, so touched by, you know, what they said and what they did, you know, performance or something. Mm-hmm. But if you can get that emotion, uh, then you, you, you've gone more than halfway there. And if you can't get emotion from, from the story or from the picture, then, then let's try and get some information. You know, what's, what are you trying, what's happening in this, in this moment? And like I said, it could be the first lady hugging the kid or mm-hmm. it could be, you know, just talking to, people in general. Uh, it's, it's not very exciting, but it's the information that you're trying to get across uh, at the time. And the third thing is if you don't have the emotion, you don't have the information, uh, I try to make uh, an aesthetically pleasing image, you mm-hmm. know, something that's, you know, you're using the light, you're using the shadows, you're using your angle, whatever you can do to try and make it interesting. And I've always believed that the best images uh, the ones that resonate the most are ones that have a little bit of all three of those. Yes. Or, you know, maybe more dominant with one and not so dominant with the others. But it, it has, for it to last and be resonant and resonate with you, it just has to have something that, that makes you connect to it. Nice. So, um, newspapers, same, you know, same deal. Uh, looking at the White House, same deal. And people ask me, you know, but you're not you're not a journalist at the White House. And I said, well, I'm a documentary photographer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm there to document what's happening. And, you know, I never asked the president to, you know, uh, look in the camera this way or stop right there, sir. I've got the great picture. Don't move. Never, ever happened. It's always, you know, whatever happens, you know, that's what we're there to document. So people argue that you're not a journalist, but you're still approaching that with a journalism, you know, form of ethics. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What would you say was the biggest challenge of that job? The biggest challenge is that it becomes a bit of Groundhog's Day. After you've done one year of the White House, it is it is repeat the next seven times. Mm. So you, you, I did seven, I did eight Easter egg rolls. I did eight, you know, uh, Christmas, years of Christmas parties. I did eight years. I don't know how many events I did in the East Room where the president gave remarks about something or this or that. Um, so the the biggest challenge is to kind of keep a, a, a fresh eye and a fresh attitude to something that you've seen or done a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so one of the things some of my coworkers and I would like to do is I'm going to take a, a 50 millimeter lens and a 300 millimeter, millimeter lens to this next event. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to bring anything else. Or you you would set up a remote camera for an angle that's typically not seen or used uh, very often. Or um, you know you just uh, you, you get a different position or something that you know it's just not just something different just to spice things up. So it sounds like you took the challenge of dealing with like something that's monotonous and turned yep. it into a way to either become more technical with your cameras by setting yep. up the remotes or limiting yourself to a specific focal length on your lens so that you will yep. see the scenes, scenery a little bit different from a different perspective. That's and, right. and, and 
that just makes you a better photographer overall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and when I was in college, I was taking this art photography class. And I can't remember the teacher's name, but he, he gave us this assignment. He says, you've got uh, four rolls of film, and I want you to take a 10 by 10 foot space, and I want you to use all four rolls of that film of, of film in that space. You can't step outside of it. You can shoot from out. You can shoot from there, but you can't leave that 10 by 10 foot space. So I think I chose my my dorm room, you know, and I was, you know, after the first rule of film, you're like you've done everything that that's typical. But then after you know, the second rule of film, you start to do things that you wouldn't even thought of before. And then by the fourth rule of film, you're like, you know, you're hanging on the ceiling, you're you know under the covers, and you're just doing all these crazy things because your imagination has to go that step further. Uh, mm. because you're forced you're forced to that's great and i think was was really ironic about that that um lesson is that a lot of us can actually practice that right now while we're in quarantine absolutely oh because yeah. as soon as you said that yeah. i started looking around my space like huh <laughs> i think i know uh-huh. what I, I know what i'm doing this weekend <laughs> there you go <laughs> nice so it sounded like that that um that class you took paid off as a professional. Yes. Were you aware that you yes. were tapping tapping into your your education when you started to um you know approach that challenge? You know, I, yeah, of course. I think um, I think the best lessons are learned subconsciously. Uh, I'll tell you, when I was in college, I think between my sophomore and junior year, I stayed in Harrisonburg for the summer, and I was an intern. I was literally a, a lab tech for the newspaper, the Harrisonburg uh, Daily Record, the News Record. Gosh, it's been so long now. Anyway, I was hired to print the, uh, take the negatives of the photographer, staff photographers on Friday night. They come in from football games, and I was hired to print their their negatives so they could go out and cover another game or cover another event. So I was this lab tech, and I'd make prints and. And I wasn't, I was okay. I wasn't great, but they would show me, you know, how to make a print and they'd give me tips. And, um, and then before long, they, they said, okay, well, you can make a, a decent print. How about you go out and take pictures of, you know, the state fair or go out and look for a feature. And they started giving me assignments. And then, and then once they saw that I could, you know, do a daily or a, um, a feature assignment, they started giving me, you know, real assignments where I have to go and talk to people and represent the newspaper. Hmm. And this happened over the course of the summer. So when I came back that fall, I was still working for the the college newspaper, The Breeze, and all the other photographers I worked with that previous year saw me and they they saw my my printing and they saw my photography skills had all improved. They said, man, you've gotten good. What have you been doing? And I was like, what do you you mean? I I don't, you know... And the thing is, when you, you keep your head down and you're just doing the work, you don't realize that you're improving because you're, you're so busy trying to, you know, do what you can at that, in that moment. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, someone comes in from the outside who hasn't been around for a while and they see the growth that you have achieved. And for me, at the time, it was just second nature because I've been doing it all summer and not really thinking about it. So you talk about, you know, applying what I've learned over the years, and I think if you if you've truly learned it, then it's like it's subconscious. You're just doing what you've been training, and you didn't realize you were training, 
you've been learning from your mistakes and learning from your mistakes and then you've been you've just been getting better yeah and i think that comes with understanding that we are always in a state of learning absolutely and if you if you keep that mindset if you keep a beginner's mindset with anything that you do then you're going to continue to get better and you're going to learn more and you're going to evolve and the moment absolutely. you say i've arrived or i know <laughs> i know it all or i'm, yeah. I'm there right i'm a master right that means right. it's that's the beginning of the end man beginning of the end for you're real. so right for real have you ever like just sat down and had a conversation with any of the Obamas? Uh, yeah, of course. I know it sounds like a, a obvious question, but at the same time, you know, with with um with dealing with something, this is the most powerful, you know, quote unquote powerful person in the world. We don't know what the schedule is like. If it's just like all mm-hmm. business, all politics, and you just there to just take the pictures and leave. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like describe that feeling of of you know getting that job and then one day being able to just sit down with the president and have a normal conversation human to human. Well, you know, I I, I get that question a lot, and I I understand why because I think the thing that uh, the Obamas what what the Obamas mean to people uh, and and why they mean so much to people is that um, you see them. And in their position, and in their, um, they're they're kind people. They're 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 relatable. You know, they weren't. They didn't come from money. They didn't come from you know a political dynasty or anything like that. They were they were driving their kids to you know soccer practices, and they had a mortgage, and you know they were struggling just like everybody else was you know, to a certain extent. In 2007, 2006, they were just like anybody else, any other middle-class family. But then they they rise to the power or position of president and first lady, yet they are just as uh, down to earth as your neighbor or someone else that you knew. And they're they're people of color, you know. On top of that, so I get the the myth of of the Obamas, mm-hmm. and the reason why is because. They're they're authentic. I mean, they they are truly just. Uh, there was no pretense. They weren't uppity here. They didn't have any airs about them. And I, I've seen it a thousand times when you know someone's meeting them for the first time. They they're hyperventilating. They can't talk. They can't you know. Um, it just it's not it's funny. It's cute, but it's just you know. Uh, I understand why people get that way. Mm-hmm. And in my small conversations with them you know with the president it's usually it was usually about sports or the families you know about mm-hmm. the kids you know about uh, uh how they're growing because they 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 met my kids when they were little uh when they were four four and three years old you know so they they see my kids grow up to you know what they are now um and with the first lady it's it was a little bit more relaxed in her staff in conversations uh and i don't i think that's just because you know it wasn't really about politics it was always about uh you know policy of helping kids or helping uh, mm-hmm. uh boys so the the atmosphere around these conversations were always relaxed and just i mean honestly just normal conversations of people talking about whatever's going on in the news that day so 
Um, but personally, whenever it was focused on me, I would get a little bit nervous because I don't like being the center of attention. Mm. <laughs> and um, so a couple of times, you know, we were on a trip and it was, if it's somebody's birthday, they will get a cake on the plane and they will, you know, bring it out to you and have the candles lit and everyone will sing and the president will come in and the first lady will come in and they'll all, all sing happy birthday to you. And one, it happened twice, I think, but on one trip, you know, they were singing happy birthday to me and the first lady was singing happy birthday to me. And I'm like, this is a bit much. (laughs) I, I I was like, uh, if someone took my camera and they, they were taking pictures, they did a horrible job, by the way, but they took pictures of everyone singing happy birthday to me. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things you'll never forget and you'll always appreciate because they appreciated the staff, they appreciated the families, uh, they knew how hard people were working, and they really, they, they did their best to try and uh, show that appreciation uh, over the eight years. Oh man, that's amazing, man. That's amazing to have uh, yeah. the Obamas singing "Happy Birthday" to you on, on, <laughs> on Air Force One. <laughs> it's like right, right. How does a job like that end? You know, like how does it end? How does it end? Yeah, because I mean, obviously, like he served his two terms. Um, Trump was, you know, was elected. He's going to bring in his own people. But like, mm-hmm. how does it end? Do you, you all just? say goodbye is just like all right that's it you pack up your box and walk out the door like how does how does that come to like an official closing so there um it's called offloading Mm -hmm. i think it's called offloading so you've got so many people in the government that you can't have everyone leave at the same on the same day Mm -hmm. because that would be too many people leaving being processed out so i left my last day was the 17th of january uh 2017 Mm -hmm. and the president's last day was the 20th. So I left three days before his last day. And uh, in the whole, really, the month of uh, January and um, and even into December, there were a lot of going away parties, a lot of going away departure type stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, everyone's kind of looking back at uh, on the eight years. And, and the president and the first lady really, I cannot stress this enough, they really tried to show their appreciation to the staff for all the years and, of hard work that they put in. They had, uh, I think if you were a staff or, staffer for a number of years, you got a picture with the president in the Oval Office with your family. Oh, nice. And, I, and our, our office took those pictures. And I tell you, he was, he was taking pictures for about a month and a half. Uh, the last two months of his presidency. So I, I don't know how many pictures we're talking about, but we're talking like three or four, I would say 3,000, maybe close to 4,000 uh, group shots with the president. And he, he does not have to do that. He does not have to do that, but he wanted to do that to try and show his appreciation for, for those people, for those staffers. And that's great because I, I'm sure he understands how important he is to the public being a first African-American president. I mean, general public sees the president as somebody who's very important regardless, but the first African-American president, you know, how much hope that gives people just to to know that he exists, you know, it sounds, it's, it's pretty cool that, you know, he, he was humble enough to do that for all the families and for all the staff. Of course, of course. 
I tell you, uh, there was, um, he used to do departure photos with the military as well. And this one guy, he retired from the military early. So he didn't get his picture with the president. <laughs> He's like, I want to get my picture. I'm going to retire early. And, you know, and this is going to happen. So he did. Wow. So January 17th, 2017, your last day as a official White House photographer. What is going through your mind about next steps career, career wise? Oh, um, well, we uh, I left and I took about six weeks, maybe seven weeks off. You know, I um, because 2016 was a really busy year in terms of work and travel. You know, at the end of 2016, beginning of 2017, I was just really, really tired and, and just kind of burnt out. So I just took the time off and, you know, spent time with my kids, took them to their basketball games, their basketball practices and stuff like that. And, you know, I kind of refreshed my website, uh, Jackson Images, and started, you know, putting feelers out to work for, you know, the local newspapers, uh, well, the Times, and, um, and some of the wire services and and it was just uh just trying to get my mind back in the the, the freelance mode of of existence and i was i was really lucky because just through the connections and friends i'd met while working at the white house people would say oh well i got a job at this political event if you're available uh, we'd love to have you take pictures so i started doing political d triple c stuff and um you know, stuff like that. And then I did some, like I said, work for the New York Times and a couple of magazines as well. And then I also did uh, work for the Obamas after leaving the White House. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it's it been nice. I did some of their uh, Obama Foundation stuff. So, yeah, everyone is uh, hustling, I, I like to say, because mm -hmm. the gig economy now. Photography is a hustler's, uh, hustler's career, you know, you have to always keep talking and meeting people and, you know, making good connections, not necessarily networking, yeah. but making good, genuine connections. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not networking if you're, if you really, if you're really concerned about the person you're, you're talking to. If you, if you want them to succeed at whatever, it's not networking. It's like you're just doing a good thing for somebody. Yeah. And then their relationships go from there. Yeah, with me when I when I meet somebody, I'm I'm interested in who they are and you know what they're interested in and then I always try to keep if I see like an opportunity pop up and I know that there's somebody who's interested in that thing, then I'm always sort of like trying to make up these formulas or these equations to like get yeah. this opportunity with this person and just like hopefully it's like a, a nice marriage, you know. Yeah, no, and it's a good feeling when it works out, right? And yeah, and even if it doesn't, the person is still appreciative that you were thinking of them in Absolutely. an area that was specific to them. Right. Thank you for thinking of me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, you said you you took some time off. Took about what seven weeks off. Um, yep. Get your mind right. Spend time with family, and you've published a book called uh, Yes We Did, Photos 
Yes, sir. And behind the scenes stories celebrating our first African American resident. Can you yes. speak a little bit about that book? Like, how did this come about for you? Yeah. Um, well, it, it goes back to the uh, marrying up part because, you know, after I left the White House, my wife said, uh, you need to do a book. And I was like, I'm not doing a book. You know, Pete Susan's got two books in him. At the time, I said that. And literally, he has come out with two books. And uh, and I said, you know, and, and honestly, Pete had, you know, he had more access than, than the rest of the staff because he was a chief photographer. So here, here I am thinking, like, I don't have a voice. I don't have a story to tell. And here is my wife saying, look. You know, you were the only African-American on staff covering the first African-American president. I think you've got a story to tell. And um, so I, I listened to her. And with the help of a family friend who had some uh, connections in the book industry, he helped me uh, kind of write my – it's kind of – it. I wrote the story that I told you about how I, you know, decided to I wanted to work for the White House mm-hmm. uh, that night, election night. I put that in a written form and I put some pictures, uh, curated some pictures. And this is my, this is my proposal. And that was shopped around, uh, to the different, uh, publishing houses up in New York. And, uh, luckily enough, one of them thought enough to, to make me an offer to, to publish the book. And I said, okay, let's do it. So it took about a year and a half to actually uh, get the book out. And not that it took that long to actually do. It's just that I think I signed the book contract in March of 18. And um, they didn't want to rush it to get into the to get it in the fall of 18. So they said, we'll wait until the fall of 19 to publish this book because they wanted it to, to come out in, uh, just for the holidays because it's, you know, it's all about, you know, when it comes out and how they can market the book. Timing, yeah. They have to make their money back. They have to make their money back. Mm-hmm. The pictures, the editing wasn't the hard part. It was the kind of the structure of the writing and the direction that the book would take. So they had me write, I think, 25,000 words. Just They just told me to write. So mm-hmm. just write what you, what's on your mind, the stories that you have in your head. Just kind of put it all on paper. And then they took that, and then they they edited it, and they put a structure to it, and they found common themes and in, in all the the writings. And then from that theme, they started building the pictures around the different chapters. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it sounds like your words were the skeleton was the skeleton for the book. Yeah. And then, and then the, the photos were the meat. meat and bones. Yeah. Yeah. And it really it was. It was hard because I didn't, a lot of the pictures that I wanted to make into the book didn't actually uh, make it into the book because they really weren't uh, specific to the story or the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the skeleton of, of the book. Um, but that, that aside, you know, it was, it was a really good kind of uh, cathartic way for me to kind of process the eight years I'd spent and to remember, and um, one of the things I had was I had other people contribute to the, to the book. Like uh, Steph Curry wrote a little bit of something uh, about his picture in the book. Keegan-Michael Key 
Valerie Jarrett, Cecilia Munoz, uh, so some White House staffers. You reached out to these folks and just asked them to contribute? Yes. So you, you yes. just got Steph Curry on text? <laughs> no. You know, uh, Jerron Smith, who used to work at the White House, he worked with Steph Curry. So I reached out to him, and he was the middleman. And yeah, so it, it, you're talking about those connections and people trying to help you out? Yeah. This is this is a living living proof of that. Yeah, there were a lot of people who helped who helped me get through to a lot of big names, and it, and it would not have been possible if it weren't for the connections I made at the White House. Yeah, man, that's great, man. I think I think one thing we have to remember with uh, connections is that if you're not a good person, if you're not a genuine person, then those connections mean nothing. Nobody's gonna extend their hand to help you out. Nobody's going to consider you or think about you. If you're not, right. if you don't have that character, you know, if they, if they sense that you are doing it just to, you know, advance yourself or whatever, they will not be, they won't, they won't be helping you. You no, know, it's, it, just, it's yeah. just that simple. And it will catch up to you. You may fool a few, you may fool, fool a few people in the upfront, but after a while, right. your reputation will catch up to you. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So imagine you were that young kid, you know, taking negatives in the technician lab and Mm -hmm. somebody told you one day you're going to be photographing the first African-American president. What would you have said? I would have said you're crazy. Because come on, you got to realize, I don't know how old you are, but. I mean, the fact that we elected the first African-American president in my lifetime. In our lifetime, yep. I mean, my kids, you know, they were four, three years old when he was elected. So to them, this is not a big deal. It's normal. But to me and my mom and people, you know, older than me, it's like this was a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Because this was not, you know, I didn't see it. I honestly didn't see it coming. So if I were to see that young person say, look, you know, you're going to cover the first African-American president, I don't know. I just, you know, I wouldn't have believed it. And what was the feeling of going through those photos of the eight years and, and writing, mm-hmm. you know, sharing your thoughts, spilling it out, spilling it all out onto paper? Like, what what did that do for you emotionally as a photographer? Well, I mean... The emotion, um, well, the, the one thing that got me the most probably emotional, and I tell this in the book, is when um, the president went down to Richmond to uh, give a talk or give a speech. And sometimes when you go uh, to your hometown, the president goes to your hometown, you can invite your family to come meet him backstage, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so I you know, had my mom... Uh, my sister, my niece, my older brother come backstage and they, they got to meet the president. So the the whole thing lasted about a minute, maybe a minute. Uh, the president shook everyone's hand. We all got together for a group photo. He made some small talk. He gave my mom a kiss on the cheek. You know, <laughs> mom's going to kiss on the cheek, he said. And... Um, and then they were whisked off to their seats and he gave his talk and I was back on the plane and we flew back to DC that afternoon. Mm-hmm. But then the very next day, I'm going into the Oval Office with my lights uh, for these uh, departure photos. 
and the president's behind the resident's desk. And he notices that I come in and he says, he says, Lawrence, you know, I really enjoyed meeting your family yesterday. And I was like, sir, the honor is all theirs. Thank you for, for making the time. Now, listen, this guy, he's got a lot of things on his plate that he doesn't have to take the time to say to me, hey, I enjoyed meeting your family. So that's what I, that would get me, you know, uh, when I was doing, when I was reflecting on my time, it's like that would get me uh, emotional because my mom bought me my first camera. Mm. She bought me a Pentax K1000 and it was, it was a stretch for her to buy it for me. And here she is. The reason why I have the camera, mm-hmm. the reason I got into photography, yes. meeting the, you know, first African American president. So that, that whole story wraps up that I'm, I'm a ball of tears, you know, when I, when I first kind of go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the process of writing the book, you know, it's, I mean, I really, I really believe that everybody's got a story to tell. And uh, the best way to do it is to, you know, is to keep a journal, you know, take notes, you know, take pictures. Uh, one of the things I do when I sign the copy of my book is I say, tell stories, take pictures. Mm-hmm. Because if you, uh, if you keep notes, you keep a journal, you take pictures, and you look back at your at your your life and your career, and you have those notes to go back on, go back to. You've got a story to tell, and it's you know. I, I really believe everyone's got a story to tell, and I think um, that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned from from doing this book. Wow, that's amazing! That's amazing. So, Lawrence, what's next for you? Well. I mean, uh, with this pandemic, a lot of freelance jobs uh, dried up. So uh, taking a break, I'm actually starting to figure out some Photoshop, uh, trying to bone up my my proficiency skills in Photoshop and maybe do some video work. But yeah, once this thing is behind us and we've got a vaccine, I'll just get back into uh, freelancing, you know, I did some politics the last year, campaigns with uh, Buttigieg and Senator Warren and Vice President Biden. So let's we'll keep doing that. All right. This is Lawrence Jackson, and you're tuned in to the Black Shutter Podcast. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, Head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.